0: If you're open your Bibles to John chapter 9, after six weeks in John chapter 8 and four in John chapter 7, we're going to do John chapter 9 in one sermon. That's 41 verses, so we might be here till next year. But I think this is one passage with one message, and I love this. This is one of my very favorite passages in this entire book. So this is God's Word. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man, or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned, nor his parents, but by the works of God should be made manifest in him I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made a clay out of the spittle and anointed the eyes of the man with the clay. And he said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent And he went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which as before had seen that he was blind, said, Is not this who sat and begged? Some of this said, This is he. Others said, He's like him, but he said, I am he. Therefore they said unto him, How are your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man that's called Jesus made clay, and anointed my eyes, and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam, and wash. And I went and washed, and received sight. Then they said unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind, and it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And he said said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed, and I do see. Therefore, said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keeps not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can this man that's a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. Then they say unto the man again, What sayest thou of him which opened thy eyes? He said, He's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind, and received his sight until they had called his parents of him that had, that had um, received his sight. And they asked of him, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind, and now doth see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He's of age, ask him, for he will speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, ask him, he's of age. Then again called they the man that was blind and said, Give God the praise. We know that this man's a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he's a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, whereas I was blind... Now I see.' Then they said to him again, "'What did he do to thee? How how, would you, um, how did he open your eyes?' He answered, "'I have already told you, and you would not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Would you also be his disciples?' Then they reviled him and said, "'Thou art his disciple. We are Moses' disciple. We know that God spake unto Moses, but for as this fellow we know not from whence he is.' The man answered and said, Why, herein is a marvelous thing that you do not know from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said to him, Thou dost, hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see and that they which, uh, which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see. Therefore, your sin remains. God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You see in chapter 8, All of this is one event really from chapter, middle of chapter 7 through chapter 8. This happened in Jerusalem so most likely it happened right after the tabernacle feast before he left. He's going to pull away again and and then come right at the end, at the the feast of the Passover. He's going to come again where he's going to die on the cross. But he meets with this man and really it's an object lesson. John wrote this. And John is is showing us that Jesus is God. Remember that this entire book, there are seven signs. And this is the sixth of the seven signs that show that Jesus is not just a prophet, as this man said he was, but that he's actually God himself. And Jesus has just said in chapter 8 that um, I am the light of the world. He just said this. This was This was his main thing, that that you're, you have a blindness, and I'm the one that allows you to see. Uh, that statement just cannot be emphasized enough. It's, it's earth-shattering. Nobody could say something like that. Anybody that would say something like that to you is absolutely off the rocker because what he said, Jesus said, I'm the only one in the world that knows what life is about. I'm the only one. There's nobody else that knows what life is and if you follow me then you will know what life is that that's the most arrogant thing that anybody could say because he is saying I'm the only one that's got it together life is about me Jesus is saying life is about me and life is about following me that's what makes life life that is life and that is to people that don't know that anything that's coming, that is so earth-shaking, that changes your paradigm completely. The way you are taught from the baby to, to know how the world works and how to fit in and how to not, not end up being the one that's thrown out, the one that's accepted within the world. Uh, you try all your life to not be the one that's the odd man out. And Jesus is saying no life is completely different than that i am life i'm light and john has already said in chapter 1 that he he was life and that life was light that that life that's in jesus himself that actually jesus contains life is able to allow you to see what life is to see it so so this this idea that healing a man born blind has everything to do with what he just said so this is an object lesson really it's um it's a test. It's a test case of whether or not Jesus is what he said. And he said, I'm the one that gives light so that you can actually see. So let's look at this passage. First two verses say, Jesus passed by, saw a man who was who was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now the first thing I thought of it made me laugh because they're talking about him in front of him. Has anybody ever done that? Like, he, he's right there, and these people who he can't see are talking about him. Who sinned? Did this man sin because he was born blind? Or was it his parents who sinned before he was born blind? So there's, there's a little bit of a sad kind of funny there. But then the question is funny. It's not just the fact that they're talking about him in front of him, but the question itself is wrong. So um, somebody once asked me, say, hey, Brian, have you stopped beating your wife? And I stopped, and I thought, okay, if I say yes, then he's going to say, why did you used to beat your wife? And if I say no, he said you shouldn't beat your wife. It's that idea that there's not, the question is wrong. The whole idea that the, that there's two possibilities is wrong, and if you ask it in such a way that who sinned, was it this man who sinned or his parents who sinned because they are begging the question that there must have been a sin there has to be something connected if there's suffering there must have been a sin the rabbis taught that and it's not it's not so far away from the idea that sin is what caused everything to kind of go away when god created the world he cre- he looked at it and saw that it was very good everything about it was good and it's it's the whole idea that that It's sin in the world has done something to it. Sin has affected everything. There is nothing in the world that sin has not affected. So this is 24 of Isaiah. The earth is also defiled under the inhabitants thereof, because they have transgressed the laws and changed the ordinances, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore hath the curse devoured the earth." And they that that dwell then are desolate, therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men left. So the idea that when sin entered the world, it flipped the world, that everything affected it. It's not just that we were separated from God, but the earth itself and everything in the earth and the way the world works is is alienated from God. All was, was estranged. But that doesn't mean that that's the answer. Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned that he was born blind. So the idea that if God could look at the earth and see that it was very good, would someone being blind be very good? So there there is a fact that sin has affected this man in such a way that he has been born blind. But it's not as a result of sin that he did it. Now, if you remember back in chapter 5... Jesus comes to the man who he healed at the pool and comes after he's healed and says, stop sinning or something worse will happen, which is a really telling uh, phrase because it's the idea that in that man's specific case, his sin did have something to do with his, his malady. that There was a connection there, and Jesus was basically like, stop what you're doing. It is hurting you and it could lead to your eternal damnation. So, so do stop what you're doing. So there is a connection between sin, but that doesn't mean that every specific case is a, is a essentially a judgment on someone. This world has been broken. Everything about it has been broken. You read the book of Job, and the book of Job would differ from you that somehow it was either this man that sinned or his parents. Job is like, I didn't do anything. But yet, I, but yet I feel that God has completely uh, throttled me. And he, he didn't know what to say other than he did not see in his hands anything that he had done that would cause God to do something. But yet that's a very easy thing. Uh, this is from Galatians 4. I pulled this out. I have to kind of look at it carefully. Paul is talking about preaching to the Galatians. And he said, you know that through infirmity of the flesh I preach the gospel to you that means is that he he was sick he was he, there was all kinds of things that he did it poorly and flubby he didn't do a great job but god was powerful anyway that it didn't really matter that infirmity doesn't necessarily tie with with sin it's not it doesn't have to be okay jesus said it's neither of these now i want to take you to romans 8 and i'm going to read three verses to you and then I'm going to take you to a, to a very easy English version. I picked the easiest one that I could find. This is, um, this is the easy-to-read English version of the Bible. So not only were the words simplified, but the, the sentence structure was simplified. So I think it's written on a fourth-grade level. So, like, little children can read and have understanding what they're reading. I just want you to read this, okay? So here's Romans 8. In the King James, which I think is very hard to understand. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travaileth in pain together until now. So I look at this. And I, you have to, some, sometimes when you get into the 16th century language, really, really difficult to kind of parse the sentence. Of what is it actually saying? What's it opening up? I can tell that the earth itself has been damaged by sin and that when, the, when, it, when everything is made right, even the earth is going to be restored. That's what I can see from Romans 8, that, the, that, that there's thorns and thistles. Okay, so when you, when you sing joy to the world, no more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He came to make his blessings sh- uh, show far as the curse is found. That idea that the earth has been affected, that even the ground is affected by the sin of Adam, by the, by the sweat of your brow you will eat your bread until you turn back into dust because you're made out of dust. So this is saying, let me read it to you in the easy to read. Everything God made was allowed to become like something that could not fulfill its purpose. Everything God made was allowed to be made to, to show as something that could not fulfill its purpose. It was made to do something, but there's some frustration in it. That was not its choice, but God made it happen with this hope in mind that the creation would be made free from ruin. So God ruined the ground so that it doesn't even so that it's even hard to grow crops in the ground. He ruined it as a result of the fall so that, okay, that everything God made would have the same freedom and glory that belonged to God's children. So even the earth has to be restored. So when we are restored, when we're completely restored at the end of days, even the earth itself will be renewed so that the the curse that fell on it as a result of sin is gone. So there's so much and then we know that everything God made has been waiting until now like a woman in ready to give birth to a child. That the ground itself is groaning for the day when it works the way it was designed to work. That there's not a frustration. So so just in my classes, huge section of your DNA is viruses that have embedded, you've caught a virus or your great-great-grandparents have caught a virus and that virus's DNA is embedded in your DNA so that a third of your DNA isn't even yours it's simply leftovers from old ages, from old generations ago that has somehow wheedled its way into your life and it's affected you the first generations of people lived a thousand years and now all the curse is actually strangling us. And there will be a day when that's restored so that, so that even the creation will come again. So this man was born blind, and it's, there's a pity to it. Because everybody looks at it and says, this shouldn't be. This shouldn't happen. It should be different than that. But that doesn't mean that it was sin. It's the whole thing that we live in sin. We live in sin city. There's, everything we breathe is poison. Everything we eat is poison. Everything we see is poison to us, and we're, we will, we're awaiting renewal of that. So this man is congenitally blind. That means he was blind from birth. He's never seen anything. He doesn't have any images in his head when he thinks of things. There's not pictures in his head like everybody else has pictures in their head. He doesn't think of anything like that and all day long everybody's talking about things that they refer to by their sight. What's that? Or he talks about a color and say, well that's red or that's blue. He doesn't know what that means. He can't even conceive of it. He hears the words. The words make sense to him, but there's no, it's not touching him in any way so that he can comprehend. He was born blind. It's it's congenital, and so God has sent Jesus. This is what we're going to see in the next verse. I have to do the work of him who sent me. And God has actually sent Jesus to heal this man's eyes, to teach the entire universe about who God is and what his mission is. This man was born to showcase the glory of God in one of the most amazing ways. It God did not strike him... Um, so that he would be ruined. He ruined him that he might deliver him. Just like the, the, just like the Bible said, he ruined the earth that it might be delivered the same as God's children are delivered. That there was a purpose behind this. And Jesus came, his mission was just as much to come to this man and heal his eyes as, to, as any other mission. God wanted the world to know who Jesus was and this is how the world is gonna know how, Jesus, how who Jesus is, what his mission is. So when he had spoken, this is verse six, he spat on the ground and made a clay of the spittle and anointed the eyes of the man with clay. I, I asked myself why? Because he could simply say, see, and he does that. He heals at a distance. He doesn't even have to put his hands. He touches the lepers because nobody touches lepers. But often he would heal with no contact at all. But not only did he not, he didn't just touch the eyes. Okay, you see that with Bartimaeus and all these where there's other blind men. He just touches their eyes and they're, they can see. He actually puts mud with his, he takes the dirt of the ground and he puts it on his eyes so that he can feel something. So he can feel what's going on, that he's involved in this. And then he's given a directive, go and wash. And I wondered why. Like it's like a, it's almost worse than it was. He was blind and now he's got stuff on his eyes. So even if you were seeing and you had if you had cakes of mud on your eyes, you would be blind. Like it almost like he you remember when Elijah said put water on the wood? God's gonna send fire from heaven to anoint to, to, to burn this the offering. And I want it worse. Make it as bad as you can. Put three three huge tanks of water at the end of a of a Three years of drought, throw it on the water, and then when the fire guns, it makes it makes the event more. I don't know, big. So he he doesn't just take a blind man and say, see, but he puts something on it to to where he has to wash it off. And when he comes back, he's coming back seeing. Do you see? He took the he took the mud of the ground just like God did when He made you. He remade him. The. All of this is teaching us about ourselves. God is remaking you. He doesn't, just, he doesn't just take you and kind of make do and mend. He renews you. You're a new creature completely. And he, t- he took the mud, the same as the dirt from Genesis, and God made man from the dust of the ground and breathed life in him. He took it, and he spit on it, and he made a mud, and he put it on his eyes, and then he said, Go wash. I just think that's that's really cool. He goes to Salome. You remember Salome? We've seen him a couple times. Um, Salome was where they took the water when they when they did the water ceremony in, in chapter seven. They took the water from Salome and had a big parade all the way up to the temple. And in some ways, he required faith and obedience of this man. That not that his he didn't he didn't heal himself by by washing his mud off. But he put mud on it so that it had to be washed off. And then as it washed off, he realized that God had power. So it, he, he forced it. He, he forced him to be, to, to be involved so that when he saw the miracle, it was more of an effect on him. He came seeing. Now, I, I don't know what that's like. I mean, you turn on the light in the, middle, in the early morning and I'm mad at you. The idea of never having seen ever and then coming back and everything you could see. We took Erin to the eye doctor in the fourth grade, and she came back. We were in the parking lot at the eye doctor, and we went to Wendy's, and she read the sign or something across the street. She was like, wow, I didn't know I could do that. She was like, look, you can see all the leaves on the tree. I, I just felt so bad. It was like, oh, my poor child has been blind all these years, and I never did anything about it. I didn't know. To, to never have seen and then to, then to, to see. What a big deal. That's such a big deal. This is evidence. Jesus has just said, I'm the light of the world. This is a test case. He's light of the world. He'll flood your life with light. And so this is a picture of what he'll do with the spiritually blind. You have to realize men are blind spiritually from birth. From birth. They don't know anything of what you're talking about. If someone who knows the Lord is talking about the Lord and you're talking about them in front of someone who you've never seen, they don't even know what you're talking about. It would be like trying to discuss colors to someone who's never seen ever. So Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians, he, he writes in chapter 2, a person doesn't even understand what you're talking about when you're speaking spiritually because these things are spiritually discerned, and he doesn't even know what that means. He doesn't have anything to relate it to. It's not that he doesn't understand words. He understands words. He understands logic. He understands everything that man understands. But an unsaved man cannot think like a person who knows the Lord. They, they don't even have the same concepts. And then, then in 2 Corinthians 4, um, let's read that. This, this is pretty cool. This is 2 Corinthians 4. Again, this is Paul. And starting in verse 3, But if our gospel be hid... It is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. For we preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord, and our, on ourselves for your, your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So a person who is lost and doesn't understand, doesn't understand what you're talking about because he's never seen, doesn't have that concept that you could speak in front of him almost like you would spell when when you have little kids and you're spelling to each other so that they can't hear you. This idea of talking in spiritual terms doesn't mean anything to an unsaved person it doesn't it bounces off their their forehead they can't see the God of this world Satan has blinded them so that the light that would come from the gospel doesn't approach them they don't even know know what it means because a person that can't see still has light the light comes in and shines in their pupil and goes all the way to the back something has broken either they don't have a receptor that that light would mean anything there's nothing on the back there's no retina or there's no nerve that connects it to your brain or there's something in your brain that cannot see what light is and that's that is pretty that's pretty amazing when you when you kind of see that there's been a blockage god when he recreates you when he takes the mud and recreates you in in something that's actually alive something that's livable is is pretty cool that that he has he's again stopped the works of the devil. That's what Jesus did. So this is verse 8. The neighbors, therefore, and them which had seen him and uh, said that he was blind, is not he that sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, it's like him, but he said, I'm he. First of all, we find out he was a beggar. I don't know what you would have done if you couldn't do anything. You couldn't see. Nobody would You couldn't value anybody's company, many thought, that you wouldn't be able to see where the shovel was or where the dirt pile was. He could do nothing but beg. And there was such a change in this man's life that the neighbors didn't even recognize him. Like, to know somebody all of your life, the neighbors, the ones who live next to you, said, I don't know, it looks like him, it seems like him, maybe it's him. Well, maybe it looks like him. And he was like, no, it was me. Your testimony often is to is to give veracity the fact that God has done something. Like, this is me. This is who I am. I'm the same person, but there's something different I can see now. I couldn't see before. So this is verse 10. Therefore they said, how are your eyes opened? He answered, a man that was called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, and said, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and received my sight. Then they said, where is he? He said, I don't know. Jesus just slipped back out into the... I mean, he did this how many times? Jesus doesn't call attention to himself. Jesus came to him, came to him. He didn't seek out Jesus. He was like, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Blind Bartimaeus did that at Jericho. But this guy was just standing there, and Jesus saw him, but he didn't see him. He didn't even know he was there. So our testimony is simply what Jesus did for us. I don't know where he is. But he did this. The man called Jesus told me to do this, and when I did it, I saw. This is verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees him that was aforetime blind, and it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he'd received his sight. He said, he put some clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I do see. Therefore, said some of the Pharisees, this man's not of God, because he doesn't keep the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that's a sinner do such a miracle? And there was a division. Again, you deny the evidence. An un, a disbeliever, an unbeliever, one who refuses to believe just denies it. And again, oh, the Sabbath. They simply use that loophole of the Sabbath over and over again so that they do not have to deal with it. And even some of the Pharisees were like, how can a sinner open the eyes of somebody who was born blind? Like, like we need to deal with this. This is evidence that needs to be dealt with. And some people are like, nope, I refuse. Okay? Even after investigating, they investigated. They were like, what about this? What about this? And, they, and it didn't even matter. They were refused. They, they deny. It's a denier. Verse 17, they said unto the blind man again, what do you say of him that has opened your eyes? Now, I think that's interesting. What would that matter? They had intended to destroy Jesus. They wanted, they, this guy was an annoyance to them because he had done something. He, there was a miracle again. that was Everybody could see the effects of it. They knew what had happened. It was obvious to everybody. And it's in their, they have to deal with it, but they don't want to. So he says, what do you think of him? Like it would matter. Would they care? These are the same Pharisees in the last chapter who said that these, the, these people are fools. They don't know anything. They don't respect, they don't, these, these guys did, don't have PhDs in theology. Why would he care? Except that he wanted him to say something that they could use to trap Jesus. That's all he wants. And he doesn't. He just said, he's a prophet. Obviously, he's got to be at least a prophet because look what he did. He did something marvelous. This is verse 18. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received their sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And then they asked, saying, Is this your son who who you say was born blind? I think that's funny. How then does he see now? His parents answered, We we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he sees, we know not, or who has opened his eyes, we know not. He's of age. Ask him. He'll speak for himself. These words spake the parents, because they feared the Jews. For if the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was the Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, said his parents, he's of age, ask him. Now there, there's the saddest part of the story. He had, this is the first time he'd ever laid eyes on his parents. He had never seen his parents before, and that same split second, they throw him under the bus. Because it costs a lot it costs a lot to go with the evidence of Jesus. You couldn't buy a house, you couldn't have a job, you couldn't, or you couldn't rent a house, nobody would rent to you. If you were thrown out of the synagogue, nobody would hire you. Or if you were hired, they'd fire you that next minute. You, they wouldn't give you a loan. Like, How could you deal in society? You wouldn't be anything. He was already a beggar and now supposedly he's worse than that. And the parents were like, uh, what do we do, what do we do, what do we do? And they were just like, so they just push it off. And instead of saying, oh, my goodness, this is our son. We know he's a, you know, because from the birth he was a, he never saw, ever. And now you, and now he's seeing, ask him. They just throw it to him because they, it costs them too much. And it's going to cost this man. It's going to cost this man too much. And I think it's really funny as he starts opening up to the Pharisees, he's just, he's fed up. He's fed up. He doesn't, he can't handle it anymore and so, I don't know, there's almost a little bit of a funny kind of snarky attitude. He gets a little bit sassy mouthed with Pharisees, yeah, okay, anybody with that guts. He, I don't know if, it know if he knows what it's going to cost him, but he's already at the bottom. He's already a beggar. What's it, you know, what's it going to cost him? It's going to cost him. Then they, this is verse 24, they called the man that was blind and said, give glory to God the praise. We know this man's a sinner. He answered and said, whether he's a sinner or no, I know not not one thing I know, whereas I was blind, now I see. There's amazing grace. I only know that I used to be blind. I don't know anything. Your theology grows. God saves your soul, and you know nothing. And your theology grows. It it develops as you know who the real God is. That's That's why you should be in your Bible. Don't, don't be careful of who teaches you. Be in your Bible. God will teach you. And your theology develops and develops and develops. The only thing he could see is, I don't know anything except that I was blind and now I can see. That was his full testimony at this time. And it's interesting. It said, well, how did he open your eyes? He said, I've already told you, and you didn't hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Why do you want me to tell you again? Will you, do you want me also want to be his disciples? like a little bit of a jib there. Then they reviled him and said, You're his disciple. We're Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke through Moses, but for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. Now, I I like this idea, we know that that God spoke through Moses. How would you say that? If you can't see that God speaks through Jesus, and Jesus was right there in front of you, then you're you're only on the party line, you're only on the bandwagon thinking that Moses was was that God spoke through Moses God spoke through Moses because I know that God has saved my soul when God saved my soul then I go back to the Old Testament and I read and I realize that God spoke through Moses it's the same Moses that Jesus is referring to I I my faith the Old Testament the stuff that's so far back and I don't know anything and it's 6000 years ago and in another place and another language I don't know except that God saved my soul, and it's obvious to me. I used to be blind and now I can see. That is all I can go on. So your theology and your even your knowledge of the Bible is built on your salvation. Your salvation proves that Jesus is who he said he was. So when Jesus said that, that Jonah spent three days in the belly of a fish, I go, okay, I buy it. You can't go from the beginning and have faith all the way up to Jesus and then have faith in Jesus. I think Jesus saved my soul, and that lends me the faith to go back and say, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and stopped, and the shadow went backwards ten degrees down the steps of Ahaz. Okay, I simply know that I was blind and now I can see. That is enough for me to have faith. God lends you something. Your, your faith is not just pretend that anything is anything and have faith in it. It's silly. It's evidence, and the evidence was that he was used to be blind and now he can see. And they reviled him, and the man said, "Well, that's a hearing is a marvelous thing that you know from not whence he is, but yet he opened my eyes." So in my class, let me tell you a thing I, I give in my class. In 1609, Galileo was in, was visited by some professors from the university he, he taught at. He taught at the University of Padua, and some professors came and visited him. He had just invented the telescope, right? So he had heard from a sailor that someone in in Holland had invented the telescope. And that's all that he needed to know. The sailor didn't know anything except that this man supposedly invented a scope that if you looked through a tube, something could get bigger. And that's the only thing he needed. He was like, okay, how did that work? If you looked through a tube, how would something get bigger? And he invented or reinvented, because nobody knows who the guy in Holland was. He invented the telescope, and the first thing he looked at was Jupiter. Jupiter Jupiter's a bright planet, and he looked at Jupiter, and as he looked at Jupiter for day, night after night, he could see little dots in front of Jupiter going around Jupiter, and it would start on one side and go to the other side and disappear, and then go to the other side, and there's many, many, dozens and dozens of of, uh, moons of Jupiter. And he said, there are moons going around that planet. That's a planet, and it's got its own moons that's a big deal because the theology of the time was that the earth, everything went around the earth. Jesus was born on the earth. The earth is God's center of attention. In fact, the center of the universe is, is, is the Mount of Olives and on and on there was all this theology and so the idea that there would be a moon going around Jupiter was impossible. So these men come and visited and as they visited, he said, look for yourself." And he hands these professors the telescope and they refuse to look. They're like, no, no, no. I don't want to look. Because if I look, then I would have to change my mind about some things. And he just refused. And I just thought, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's exactly what the scriptures are talking about here. The idea that you refuse to see, you've blinded yourself I refuse to see because if I see, I'm going to have to think of something, and if I think of something, I'm going to have to be responsible for what I did, and that is a big deal. This is 31. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man was a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him heareth. This is the blind man. Since the world began, it was not a heard that any man opened the eyes of one born blind. Is this interesting? He's preaching. This is preaching. He's talking about the truth of God based upon his experience, what he knows of God. And if this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They were furious. They answered and said, that was altogether bored and sinned, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. It cost him everything. So, first of all, in 14, they deny it, take the loophole of the, of the Sabbath, and in 28, they hurl insults, and in 34, they throw him out. That's what happens. That's why that there's 150,000 martyrs a year among the Christians in this world. That's why. Because it costs you, it costs you to have faith in the God who owns it all, the God who runs it all, the God who could save you if he wanted to and decides instead that the world in its blindness can go a little bit longer And he's holding back his judgment, holding back his judgment, and he will make all things right, even the martyrs. And this guy is a martyr. Now, I don't know that they killed him, but they put him out. It was the same as killing him. This is 35. Jesus heard that they cast him out. And when he found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? Jesus said to him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talks with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Mm-hmm. King James says, Son of God. Um, many, of the, many of the modern Bibles say Son of Man. I think it's Son of Man is the, is the words probably that was. He's, he's talking about the Messiah. He's doing the same as he did for the woman at the well. This is the second time that he's revealed himself, directly revealed himself. And that's what Jesus does. He let this man see and then he showed him the truth of who he was. Jesus came to him and showed him who he was. That's what he does to a believer. And this, is, this is, was his mission. Jesus' mission was to this man. It, it was a, it, God set it up. And he reveals to him the decisive knowledge of the truth. And this is how it ends. 39, Jesus said, for judgment I'm coming to the world that they which see not might see, and for they which see might be made blind." How terrifying. And some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said, are we also blind? And Jesus said unto them, if you were blind, you'd have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore you're blind, your, your sin remains. So when the light shines, some That light causes you to see, but for some, it causes you to be blind, that there is a judgment. Remember, God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but he is the judge, and he is judging this man was given sight because he didn't have it. But the ones who claim they can see but obviously can't see are judged by it, and it's almost like that they're blinded by the light rather than given in the light. So the sight of the blind and the blindness of the sighted. It is, it's really, there's so much thrill here, because this man is now what God has made him to be, just like a believer. But at the same time, in the same preaching of the gospel, certain hearts can go completely hard, and others can completely open. And it's a judgment of God on us. And so that is the idea that when it's today, it's the day of salvation, Do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart like the provocation, but instead you soften your heart and you beg God to soften your heart. And when you see hardness in your heart, when your heart is cardboard, you beg God for softness because God can, through his gospel, save you, and God can also completely close you off And because you've decided. He said, if you were blind, you'd have no sin, but since you say you can see, it forces the sin to remain. So it's a, that's a pretty, it's of the gospel, of the entire New Testament, that's one of the, the most scary warning passages, but couched in one of those beautiful stories. Amen.